Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance concludes his five-part series in Genesis chapter 49, as Jacob prophesies to his final five sons, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Benjamin, and a special word for his beloved son, Joseph. And we're going to look at Genesis 49, part two of Jacob's prophecy as he lay on his deathbed with his sons gathered around him. Genesis 49. And so the prophecy now comes, and I'll leave it up to you to decide which way that one goes. But uh, Dan, you know, had, and of course we know what happened with Samson, right? Samson got himself in trouble with a girl named Delilah, right? And Delilah wasn't like trying to hide what she wanted to do. She said, uh, I'd really, you know, just like to take you out, so just tell me the secret of your strength. The Philistines are upon you. And then he was, oh, didn't really give you the secret. But then finally, day after day, she kept asking him the secret of his strength. And he got sick and tired of being sick and tired. He said, all right. The strength is in my hair. You give me a haircut and I'm done. Somebody say he went to supercuts. <laughs> That was, it was an unsupercut. Anyway. And all of a sudden in the prophecy, remember Jacob on his deathbed, he gives the prophecy about Dan, and all of a sudden he, he says, look at verse 18, For thy salvation I wait, O Lord. You're like, what? Why did he do that right there? At the moment, right after he prophesied about Dan, well, could that give us evidence that Dan was really a judge in the book of Judges sense? Like a deliverer? I wait for thy salvation. Was the mention of a snake, did that make uh, Jacob's mind go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the snake came in and, and our first parents fell and we need a deliverer and we have the pre-evangel all the way in Genesis 3.15? Could it be? He says, I wait for thy salvation. I wait, O Lord, for your salvation. By the way, this is the first mention of salvation in the Bible. In Genesis 49. And you know what the word salvation in Hebrew is? Yeshua. Yeshua. And that's the Hebrew and the Greek form of Yeshua is Jesus. And so we could translate this, for thy Yeshua I wait, O Lord. Now, did Jacob know that Yeshua was coming? Did he know the name of Jesus? I don't think so. But I think Jacob at least knew, remember he's prophesying by the power of the Holy Spirit, I think he knew that a coming deliverer was coming. I don't think he obviously knew everything that we know today with the benefit of the Bible and so forth. But do you remember when Simeon was in the temple area and he, and he looked at the baby Jesus and he said, Now I can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen thy Yeshua. Your salvation. Jesus is salvation. The word Jesus means Yahweh saves. Or Yahweh is salvation. That's what Jesus' name means. Yahweh is salvation. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So from Dan, we move to Gad in verse 19 as we move through these sons. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he shall raid at their heels. Now, Gad apparently was going to be involved in Rotsa raids, uh, from what I can see here. 
No, you guys didn't like that one at all. Anyway. <laughs> the repetition of this word in Hebrew is a play on word from Gad's name. And it actually has the sound of galloping horses. And you remember the hit song that uh, Gad did come up with back in the day. You guys remember? We sang it many weeks ago. He has made me Gad. He has made me Gad. I wrote. You guys don't remember that one? Man, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> First Chronicles 12, verse 8 says, From the Gadites there came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness mighty men of valor, men trained for war, who could handle shield and spear, and whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as the gazelles on the mountains. First Chronicles 12, 8. The Gadites came and helped out David. They experienced frequent attacks, but also they did their own raiding as well. One commentary says, Gad is going to go through severe trials, but will experience ultimate victory in the end. Gad means troop. This tribe settled on the east side of the Jordan in an area exposed to raids by some of the deadliest enemies of Israel, including Ammon and Moab. They experienced frequent attacks, but according to this prophecy, they would fight back. Next son is Asher. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and they shall yield royal uh, dainties. So, don't know a whole lot about the tribe of Asher and what this all means, but Asher's name does mean happy. And Asher actually ended up on the coast and enjoyed some coastal luxuries. One thing I do know is that there was a woman who was in that same temple area in Luke chapter 2, right after the story of Simeon's told, and her name was Anna, and Anna was from the tribe of Asher. Just a little interesting fact. And it just interests me that she's from this tribe of Asher, and she's in the uh, temple court. She never left there, never left the temple, fasted, prayed, served day and night. And the moment that she saw the baby Jesus. She began to give thanks to God, continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke 2, verse 38. Look at verse 21. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. If you have the ESV and NIV, it says fawns. The reason it does is because there's a little nuance in the Hebrew here, and scholars are not sure which manuscripts I think are the best. Uh, beautiful words is probably uh, correct, but uh, that's c- kind of why it goes both ways. And, and beautiful words, uh, just a, a, it's a metaphor here on the dough. I'm not sure everything that that means. And now we move to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, verse 22. Now remember, Joseph is the, the man through whom all this incredible stuff happened. He's a fruitful bow by a spring its branches run over a wall. Now, we're going to get a little longer prophecy about Joseph for a second, but we've been parked in the story of Joseph really from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis. And Joseph was a man who was a blessed man, but his blessings did not come through ease of life. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he ends up in Potiphar's house. He gets falsely accused after resisting her constant Uh, trying to get him to sleep with her. And he says, no, no, no. And then finally, she falsely accuses him. He ends up in prison. 
and, but he was still a fruitful man. No matter what's happened to you, God can still produce fruit in your life. Here's what happened to Joseph. The archers bitterly attacked him. Look at verse 23. And shot at him and harassed him. Now Joseph was a fruitful man, verse 22. He certainly you know, produced so much fruit. The picture here is of such a, uh, an incredible crop or such, such heavy fruit on a tree that the branches begun to go over the wall and everybody who passes by can partake of the fruit. That was Joseph's life. What was he famous for? Well, among other things, he predicted a coming famine, told the Pharaoh to save the grain for seven years, and uh, what happened in the area of Egypt is he became the viceroy because of his wisdom and insight into the dream, and the whole world rushed to Egypt to survive the famine, but the family that God was really focused on that he wanted to survive was the family of Israel. Because from that family would come the Redeemer. And God's providential hand, as Pastor Chris mentioned, his sovereignty uh, is moving through this whole thing. He's a fruitful bow by a spring. Uh, the man or woman who meditates on the word of God, who will be, she will be like a tree planted by what? Streams of water that produces, yields fruit in its season. When whatever he does, whatever she does shall prosper. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. They're like tumbleweeds. Anybody have to deal with tumbleweeds before? Tumbleweeds are a pain. They've got no deep root system. They kind of just pick up other stuff. They go under your car. And then if you want to put them in your trash can, have you ever tried to put a tumbleweed in your trash can? It's like, oh! it's like it cuts you up and stuff. So you, I just throw them in my neighbor's yard. That's what I do. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Just kidding, I don't do that. <laughs> you ever walk by a wall where a fruit tree in somebody's backyard has grown over the wall and you're like, mm. well, this is now public property. And there's people that have trees that are doing so well. Do you have a friend or a family member that gives you fruit all the time? I love those people. We have, we have a wonderful couple in this congregation that give me avocados all the time. It's such a blessing, man. Avocados, man. Guacamole, man, come on. How many of you lo love guacamole? Some of you are just afraid, aren't you? <laughs> I understand. But the archers, even though he was fruitful, man, it wasn't easy. The archers bitterly, 23, attacked him. They shot at him. They harassed him. Arrows could be, you know, you have archers mentioned here in verse 23. Arrows could speak of words. How many times do you think that Joseph replayed the scene when his brothers sold him into slavery? How many times do you think that he replayed the situation with Potiphar's wife. Words are like arrows. You have a shield of faith. You're supposed to raise it up because with it, you will be able to quench all the fiery arrows of the wicked one. 
It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the Donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. So what are the arrows of the wicked one? It's it's a metaphor, right? It's a picture. It's not literal, although sometimes things do get under my skin. You know what I'm saying? I think this one belongs to you. Well, when we raise up our shield of faith, we're able to extinguish all, not some, all the fiery arrows of the wicked one. That's Ephesians 6.16. The shield of faith is part of your armor, and one of the things that the devil uses is words to pierce you and get you to focus on them so much so that they envelop you and all of a sudden all you can do is think about the words i can't believe such and so said such and so about me and so (laughs) right i mean words penetrate they hurt you know the the old rhyme on the school ground Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. <laughs> That's how we said it to you. Not true, right? We can remember hurtful words from a long time ago. The, the tongue is like a sharp sword. In Psalm 57, David wrote these words. Verse 4, My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword, Psalm 57, verse 4. Man, we have to be careful with our words. But the devil often uses words to penetrate our souls, and we don't raise our shield of faith, and we get hurt. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, sometimes the devil uses unresolved anger as a result of words to get a foothold in our lives. See, When we're talking about forgiveness, we have to forgive people for cross words. Hurtful things that have been said to us. Do you think, and we could talk about many areas, but do you think, would you agree with me, that one of the tougher things to forgive is hurtful words? I would say so. I'm sure that there's some other categories that are more difficult, but that's going to be near the top for a lot of us. And that's a lesson to us that we have to be careful what we say. We have to be careful what we let go from the bow. Everybody with me? Sometimes you take aim, right? You know what? (laughs) Man, I'm going to do it. I'm letting it go, baby. God said, don't do it. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that some bows are almost like boomerangs? And then, (laughs) they usually come back to you anyway, right? Got one of those crooked arrows. (laughs) But his bow, 24, speaking of Joseph, remained firm. The word is steady, unmoved. And his arms, Joseph's arms, man, with everything he went through, were agile. But here's why. 
from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Now, this Jacob, he's about to die. From the, from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Don't you love it? Jacob says to Joseph, you know why you were so strong? Do you know why you survived Potiphar in the prison and, enslaved, and being enslaved by your brothers and being falsely accused in all those years away from your family? Do you know why you were strong, my son? Because the one behind you was the mighty one of Jacob. The one speaking is Jacob. He's the mighty one of Jacob. This is picked up in Isaiah 49, 2, where God calls himself, I am the mighty one of Jacob. I think we could apply this to ourselves. He's the mighty one of Michael. Because he, any strength that I have is his. Apart from him, I can do nothing. My strength is in the Lord. And so, beautiful uh, pictures here of God. He's the mighty one of Jacob. He is the shepherd. Uh, earlier, Jacob had said, he's been my shepherd all of my life. And a couple of times in Jacob's life, uh, he marked places with a stone and even poured oil on the rock. Remember that? And he calls him the stone of Israel. And these are interesting metaphors because you think about it. The shepherd of Israel, that was picked up in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, it's way back in Genesis 49. The rock of Israel comes from this prophecy from Jacob, but then that's all through the Bible. For example, Deuteronomy 32, 31, Moses says, indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Amen? There is no rock like our rock. That's an old praise song that some of you will remember. There is no God like our God. He is the stone of Israel, the rock upon which you can build your life tonight. From the God of your Father who helps you, 25, and by the Almighty who blesses you, El Shaddai here, with blessings of heaven above. Now, Jacob's just going to rattle off how God's blessed Joseph. Blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Uh, the blessings of your father have surpassed 26, the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph. Can you imagine Joseph at this moment, just drinking this all in? And on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. And the children of Israel in Egypt will explode in growth until a Pharaoh comes along who knew not Joseph. Exodus 1.8. But the children of Israel experienced great blessing, great fruit because of the life of Joseph. Finally, Benjamin is the last son. The last two are from Rachel, his true love. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. He was the youngest. In the morning, he devours the prey. Again, I don't think that this is a negative, but a positive. And in the evening, he divides the spoil. Joseph and Benjamin, I think, stood together as Joseph got a blessing, and then finally, uh, just a brief blessing here on Benjamin. He's addressed last. Uh, the idea of a ravenous wolf means he's tough, wise, and prosperous. The tribe, this tribe would produce the first king, the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul. He was tall. He was handsome. He was head and shoulders above the rest. And a very famous man, probably the most famous Christian that's ever walked the planet, came from this tribe, and his name was also Saul, who became 
Paul. And in Philippians 3.5, he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, verse 28. Moses is our author, remember, and he just wants us to remember what we're reading. <laughs> so he says, okay, just so you guys know, these are the 12 tribes of Israel, these sons. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone, with the blessing appropriate to him. It was blessing that he gave, but it was a blessing appropriate to each one. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he, was old, when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it was appropriate to each one. Whatever is appropriate to each one. Each child that you have will have a path that they are to walk. We want them to be on God's path, but it'll be the gifting of the Holy Spirit. It'll be the specific um, you know, abilities and strengths that God has given them. And they'll go their way. It will be appropriate to them. And that's what we need to do as parents to encourage them. And Jacob, as he lay dying now, musters up some last ounces of strength and says, Then he charged them, 29, and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, and the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, the promised land, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There's a, there's a site today that is celebrated as this site, by the way. Uh, it's now a Muslim shrine, but uh, they're, they're, they do have it marked with a, a building. And so notice it says, uh, 31, There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there, Jacob says, I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. This was a, a family burial plot, um, which, you know, we, we do see families do this today. They have a site where generations are buried in the same uh, plot. Uh, I just did a memorial service for a family recently where a loved one was already in the plot and uh, they, they laid their, their uh, loved one to rest that day in that same area. And when Jacob finished charging his sons, 33, final verse, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last. And he was, what? Gathered to his people. Would you notice? To be gathered to one's people apparently happens when you breathe your last. Because to be gathered to one's people, scholars would say, well, that means you are in the family burial plot. Or, you know, there's... There's a site where, you know, this, this particular tribe is buried. But the moment that Jacob breathed his last, he was gathered to his people. And I've been telling you that I think there's strong evidence that to be gathered to one's people is not the burial site. It's the reality of what happens beyond the grave. To be absent from the body is to be what? Gathered to one's people. To be at home with the Lord. What we've longed for, maybe, you know, not understanding that God said eternity in our hearts in the book of Ecclesiastes, that we've longed for something our whole lives and maybe we didn't know, know what it was. And what it was was to know the God who made us, the creator who made us, and the one who's making a place for us 
Eden will be restored. There will be a new Jerusalem. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. The former things will have passed away. The curse will be reversed. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. This mortal must put on immortality. Then will come to pass the saying, death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? See, the law showed us that we sinned and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death is not the end of the story. Jacob breathed his last and he was gathered to his people and Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's the God of... Jacob, uh, the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, moving and thinking about the big picture of the book of Genesis as we kind of revisit the book mm-hmm. as we're concluding it here in, in these next few broadcasts is uh, then we have a flood. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's uh, something close to 300 flood legends in different cultures all around the world. There, mm-hmm. There's a little variation, but, but it does talk about a few people getting on a boat and either a localized flood in some of these legends or of course the bible talks about a worldwide flood yes and uh so that's in these first 11 chapters as well and the the bible indicates that god is going to judge the world again and and he did flood the world now he's not going to flood the world again but but there is a judgment coming so with that term judgment or judging or even punishment how can you answer someone out there who's listening and perhaps even listen to the entire series in Genesis that there was a judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah around the earth and so on. How can a God of love, whom we are created in his image, do this or allow this to happen? Well, interestingly enough, Oscar, tonight at our Wednesday night study, we're looking at Revelation 8. We're looking at the seventh seal. So this is when the wrath of God begins to come upon the world. And, you know, it comes upon the uh, created order. Uh, so the land, the sea, the waters, uh, even the, uh, the lights that God made get a form of judgment. And for so long, God has been patient. In fact, the martyrs are in heaven saying, how long until you avenge our blood? Mm-hmm. So you think about, yes, there was a flood a long time ago. Yes, there was a judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is righteous and just. But how long has he been patient? Yes. How many clean glasses of water have you drank in your lifetime? How many times have you been able to walk out to a body of water and have it be fine? How many times have you been able to count on the sun coming up tomorrow morning? Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the moon and, and so many things that we take for granted um, in the world. And so I think, you know, when the point of judgment finally does come, what we know is the day of the Lord or the wrath of Almighty God. Sodom and Gomorrah is a foretaste of that, if you will. Mm-hmm. The flood is really a type of that. And there's going to be a final judgment. And when it comes, it's going to be perfectly just because God is holy. And here's kind of what you're getting at with the nature of God is, you know, people tend to want to talk about the fact that God is love and he certainly is love, but he's also holy. Yes. And he's also just. and He's also righteous. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.